0: but i hate tidy whities cuz i just couldn't stop staring at his dong like it's just nope. tidy whities like they not. just make the dong right there
1: this will be the
2: opener actually
0: good yeah no tip.
2: <laughs> cage dong cage dong <laughs> that's his
3: next movie he's in
4: cage dong <laughs> cage dong the dong of Nicolas Cage. It's the the donging. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the dong. Nicolas Cage in We Fight a Dong.
4: King no, that was a good one. Nicolas King Dong versus Nick Dong. <laughs> yeah. Everybody got the dongs out?
0: No. Yeah, we got the dong out. <laughs> For Robert. Tongues out there (laughs) on (laughs) me.
1: Hello and welcome to Horrible Friends Cage Month. Uh, We are a podcast in book club format about horror movies. Uh, This week we have Mandy. From nope, 2018. That's the one. Uh, and uh, starting off, I'm Kyle. I'm Chris. I'm Mike.
3: I'm Dan. And I'm Jarvis.
1: And yeah, the way this thing goes is, we're gonna talk a little about the history. We're gonna talk about the plot. We're gonna talk about the cinematics, special effects, a little bit of sound and music, and then we're gonna go ahead and give our own spoopy rating. So, starting off, Dan, what is the history of this glorious film?
0: All right, so this is Mandy. Came out in twenty eighteen uh, by the director Panos Cosmatos. Cosmatos, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry if I'm saying your name wrong. I, I mean, Cosmatos. <laughs> they're they're definitely going to listen to this podcast. So I'm I'm very sorry when you listen to this podcast about saying your name wrong, uh, but. Panos Kosmatos is known for directing beyond the black rainbow and that's it. These are like his two movies that he's got so far. Uh, the writer for this is also Panos Kosmatos and Aaron's doer on, um, and not, not really known for writing any, anything else on that. So these, these are kind of new ish to like actually directing and writing. They've done other things, but yeah. Uh, the primary film location for this takes place, uh, they filmed it in Wallonia Force in Belgium. Uh, there are other places, but like that's where a lot of this takes place. The budget for this movie was $6 million, and the box office, they only pulled in about $1.4 The runtime of this movie is 121 minutes. The
3: tagline a-
0: for it... Oh, go ahead.
3: Sorry, was this a limited release?
4: It was a limited release, and it got released on a bunch of streaming services at the time of release, and it's slowly becoming a cult hit.
0: So the tagline for this movie is none. There is none. There is no tagline for this movie. Um, (laughs) The Nude Clock, which we do every week, uh, and it is not about pervy guys. It's more about us just – talking about the silliness of nudity in horror movies that they typically do. And this week I, I always get it wrong. I'm going to say that there's no nude. no, no, uh, no. What? I'm so sorry. sorry. There is. What? So high I'm seat, sorry. Man. Sorry. I, Uh. I, I, nope. Hang on. Uh, yep. There's nudity. There's it's sorry. It was staring me right in the face. Sorry. I made <laughs> eye contact. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It was looking right at you. Right, right at me. It was looking right at me. Um, does anyone have the time on that? I, I actually did not get that.
3: 50 ah. minutes 13 seconds.
0: Okay, 50 minutes 13 seconds. Uh we have our full shaft, shaft gate.
3: Oh the, <laughs> yeah, shaft. yeah. there's nothing to debate about this. It is straight <laughs> yeah. up Vlacid Dick and balls. Rrr, yeah. Center
0: center frame. I <laughs>
4: mean <Yeah, laughs> it, it looked just like a penis only smaller.
0: I'm sure we all have those jokes to come (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there
1: Nice Phrasing, right? Phrasing So
0: 2018 horror movies We have The Nun, Hereditary Slenderman And Truth or Dare Man, I can't wait to watch Slenderman I can't wait to watch that movie
4: Yeah, you remember when Slenderman was a thing 10 years ago? Oh, and
0: then they made the movie 10 years after that
4: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So like, remember Sl- Slenderman? We hope so.
0: <laughs> we're
1: banking that on was it. their tagline. Yeah, that was definitely their tagline. Do you remember Slenderman? We hope so. Please,
3: <laughs> we're we're really bad at hype management.
0: And with that, that is our that is our history of the movie. And I'm going to pass it over to Mike, who has our plot this week.
4: Okay, so this is Mandy kicking off the month of Cage. Uh, This whole month, we'll be doing Nicolas Cage movies, and actually, today is Nicolas Cage's birthday, so happy birthday, Nicolas Cage, and I hope you enjoy the month we have dedicated to you. We love you. We love you. So the movie opens up with a quote on the screen. It says, when I die, bury me deep, lay two speakers at my feet, wrap some headphones around my head, and rock and roll me when I'm dead. And this is accompanied by some sweet, swelling guitar music. So we cut to a logging site where we see Nicolas Cage, his character, Red, where he cuts down a tree. And uh, then him and the rest of the crew are helicoptered out of the job site. This shows just how isolated they are deep into the woods.
0: Two things. One is that opening. Uh, First off, the poem Definitely something I wrote when I was 15. Second.
4: Um, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a typical edgelord poem.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, second is the opening song in the visuals. It's so much emotion. Like it really builds your emotion into the movie, mm-hmm. like right off the get-go. And I, I loved it. And lastly, Nicolas Cage rocks that beard.
4: He does. Yep. I mean, not to get ahead, but like the music in this movie, I loved all of it. Just all the yep. guitar riffs, and it was pretty great.
3: It's a rock yeah, and different. roll kind of centric film. I think that it, uh, King Crimson, I believe, yes, is, yes, uh, that's the the opening song, not the poem. Nope, that's yeah, that, yeah, you're right. That, <laughs> a when it transitions,
1: record. yeah, when it transitions from poem to, to normal song, I guess you want to call it because there's it, just a sweet ass guitar riff for the entire like '80s opening, and then once it says like 1983 or whatever, that's when King King's Crimson comes in. King Crimson comes in, and it's uh King Crimson rocks, dude. They're so good.
3: Dude, how fucking sexy is the electric synth guitar? God, I oh, like that thing, man. And so good. And I mean, a close second in terms of sexy is you're you're absolutely right. Nick Cage with a beard. Who <laughs> I like. I, I love his character. He's like I'm a rogue chainsaw and I don't have time for personal protective equipment, even on a <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> everyone around, like was, everyone around him is drinking beers like it's the end of the workday like they're like hey buddy you want a beer he's like no i'm brooding <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> this speaking of that that whole like helicopter pickup it was extremely like apocalypse now to me it's it made them look so uh extremely
4: badass army,
1: like like army badass getting out of like vietnam kind of you know Get in the helicopter, let's go! And they got in there, and they just like triumphantly leave the workplace. It was a very cool, uh, it was a very cool scene. Just in
0: general,
4: yeah, imagine if I was a commute to work every day, just on and off a helicopter when you finish your shift. That'd be pretty great.
0: Yep, fantastic. Uh,
4: so next, the next scene is a woman who we learn is Mandy, the title character. She's sketching in her house, which is intercut with Nicolas Cage driving home. Uh, through the woods It sounded like it was a Ronald Reagan speech Going on the radio But yeah, anyway about right. yep. uh, Red arrives home And tells a pretty great joke uh, Does anybody want to go along with the joke? Knock knock Who's there? Eric Estrada
2: Eric Estrada who?
4: Eric Estrada from Chips
2: Beautiful well, it was so dumb.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like
1: Nicolas Cage wrote that that joke.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I mean if it's anything I know, it's bad jokes. So I appreciated this by Nicholas Cage.
1: <laughs> so uh, you know he kept bugging like the writer. He was like, just, just let me do a joke. And then just, they, just, he's just like, put it in. Just put it in. He said just thing. do it. And he's like, yeah, fine, just fucking one joke. Alright, you get one. And it this is what he was. <laughs>
3: I heard the Reagan. I heard Reagan's voice on the the TV. I was like, "Get the fuck!" This is the Reagan era. I just thought these guys were like, like old fucking like hippies in the woods. That yeah,
4: I thought that's like, a
3: society. It's like you know, it's twenty, it's twenty nineteen, but we're like we're still rocking out to Motley Crue and just smoking weed, <laughs> and you know, it's not on the internet.
1: Yeah. Now this this whole. But thing then I saw
3: the chapter scared. title. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes uh if i'm not mistaken that this is supposed to be in a like alternate universe or something like that like it's not like a it's very similar to our universe but i guess he was going for like a different feel and we get that a lot later i guess
3: mm. so motley Crue transcends the universe
4: i would hope motley yep. crew and black sabbath transcend every universe not yep. not as black sabbath more than motley Crue, but motley Crue had some hits
3: Is Nickelback in this universe?
4: I hope not. What about Creed?
3: I mean, not. If Creed's not in this universe, I don't want it.
4: What are you talking (laughs) about?
3: Scott Staffs, the last true rocker alive.
4: So, (laughs) well, I mean, while we're telling bad jokes, just like Nicolas Cage. So, Red and Mandy are in bed together, and they're having a little bit of pillow talk, talking about their day and their favorite planets. It just shows a good scene of, like, their intimacy together and their relationship. It adds a lot to the movie. Uh, The next morning, we see more of the couple. Mandy and Red are showing fishing in a boat in the middle of an empty lake. And later by the fire, Mandy exits the lake nude, and the two silently stare at each other through the fire.
3: I, yeah, okay. So, that, yeah. Uh, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I, I I didn't know how to go about this. I was a little confused, right? I didn't know if this was like a purposely confusing visual. I didn't know if this was actually happening because she is staring like the lady in the lake coming out of the lake right through mm-hmm. the fire. I didn't know if this was uh, – there are a lot of like weird druggy transitions throughout this whole movie and it starts early. So it's it's kind of hard to determine – to establish rather like what is what is an imagined visual effect and what is like actually happening. Uh, yeah, but either way, I was just like, please for the love of God, don't make me watch Nick Cage fuck. Like I don't care what you do visually, just don't make this happen, please.
1: Yeah, and and I think I think the it goes We'll probably mention it a bunch of times. This whole movie is a gigantic acid trip and it's it, it is meant to be that way and it's it's very good. Like it, it's not overtly like eh, look how cool we are for being high. It's like purposefully done, really well, good like good lighting, good good effects and stuff like that. The whole thing is just really weird. So if we start talking about some like oddities and some like why does this seem like a dreamscape? Because it it kind of is. So
3: Oh yeah. Or the fact that um Mandy looks like Tilda Swinson. And Anna Ferris just, like, merged bodies, like Dragon Ball Z style. Like, that's exactly what she looks like. She's got a dope they star, though. Ind- Yeah.
4: Okay, so later on, we see Mandy in the house, and she was telling Red a pretty horrible story about her childhood and the starlings when she was a kid. Her dad hated them, and one day he decided to gather them all in a pillowcase, and he killed them in a frock. He killed him with a crowbar in front of Mandy and her friends. And then he decided to give the crowbar to the kids and they each took a turn killing them. And Mandy was devastated and she just ran off and she didn't participate.
0: I I found this story to be really interesting because I thought it was like, I think it's all a metaphor about Mandy's character, right? So I think that, her dad represents the evil of humanity and like the evil things that we do and her running away and is like about not being able to face that evil that humanity brings. And like, and I think that that speaks volumes about where they live and how they live in seclusion now. And um, like, it's really just like pulling yourself away from all of that
4: because yeah, even in this same scene, uh, Red says to her, we should move. And she's like, where would we go? This is our home. And yeah, like you said, it's like their isolation and they're getting away from society. Even with his job, he works as a logger in the middle of nowhere. He has to get helicoptered in and out. So they don't have much interaction with anybody besides each other and the immediate people in their area.
3: I I like that. I I, I think, you know, another way to phrase it, you know, instead of like the evil of man is just the nature of man, like the brutality of man and them kind of escaping to this area is just how they've sort of disowned, you know, that notion that that's all that man can be like, this is their safe place. And I like, I like that.
1: Yeah. And and the writing of of Nick Cage's character, um, Red is, purposefully uh i want to say light right like that they don't give a lot of uh history on his character which usually i'd be like ah, that kind of sucks because you don't know he's going through but like you can tell very shortly after like this movie gets going that he's had a past and it's not a good one whatever that may be and he also freaks out at this moment because she she says something like you know i I really wish that sometimes i really wish we can get out of here like and leave this space and he was like no 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 and he like freaked out so Mm -hmm. yeah
4: So we see Mandy, she's walking through the road in the woods and she is passed by a van full of people who look like they came out of every he'll have eyes, weird people stereotype. And uh, the title Children of the New Dawn title card comes across the screen.
3: Oh, I love the title cards. I love yeah, it. The title cards are very good. And like, as, as soon as I saw the van, I was like, whoa, let's meet the cult. I am so, I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, they, they showed up and I was like,
1: man, I've never seen more like country bumpkin, but not at the same time full on cult team than this crew. Like this is the most cultish crew I've ever seen. It's so good.
0: The title cards had a very Quentin Tarantino kind of feel like it, it felt like yes. he got a mm, lot of yeah. inspiration from that. For sure.
4: Normally, I don't like title cards coming up like that in movies, but this like they fit they fit the vibe and the style of the movie. Because every time you get a title card, it was like drenched with a deep red color, and with same with always the swelling guitar music, and it just really pulled you more into wanting to know more about what's going on, and just the overall vibe of the movie. Okay, so next we get a better look into the people that were in the van. Uh, Jeremiah, the seeming leader of this cult, is laying in a bed talking on to an elderly lady that is kneeling beside him, saying there's nothing she can do. He feels naked without her. Uh, he demands to speak with Brother Swan, who is another member of the cult. He tells him that he needs him to bring her Mandy, bring him Mandy, because he, after seeing him on the road, and asks if he has the horn of Abraxas. He tells him he knows what he has to do and to throw the porker in to seal the deal, which was another low-rent Thurman Merman-looking person.
2: That's exactly (laughs) what I thought. (laughs)
4: Exactly.
3: Yeah, same here.
4: (laughs) There can only be one Thurman Merman, and he was not it.
3: You have you get no shortage of Thurman Merman examples, like, and they just keep getting worse with every movie. But there is so much to unpack, like in, in that whole sequence. Like, I, I guess starting back with why Jeremiah is obsessed with Mandy all of a sudden, because their only interaction at this point is is none. He just saw her walking down the side of the road as their van was driving by, and like, I, I think this whole thing is just is very on the nose with this with its pagan imagery because mandy you know they're they always watch you know nerdy nerdy sci-fi movies and listen to like metal she's always wearing uh shirts with like pentagrams like the motley crew shirt she wears pretty often and like they're like in this jesus cult he is supposed to be like someone who can channel the word of god and like it's it's very on the nose but I, I just didn't understand why he was so drawn to her
0: well the his character is supposed to be just symbolic of um like toxic men like that's his whole character so i i think it he has to do with taking what you want when you want it and like how um Like the director said in an interview about like, and I'll talk about this more, but like how he's just like cartoonishly a monster and like Mm -hmm. he's just, he takes what he wants and he's just the epitome of like a toxic man. Yeah, self-centered,
1: completely like
0: out of this world, like
1: delusional about his own self-worth kind Mm -hmm. of thing.
4: And this may just be jumping ahead a little bit too, but I think the Jesus cult basis was just a means to an end for him, because he just was going to take to use whatever tools and whatever kind of angle he could to get what he wanted, and the Jesus aspect of it and the cult leader aspect of it was just a way to get that and get people behind him to follow him and do his bidding for him.
3: Oh yeah, and, and while I, I I think like the you know the shroud of Christianity is important for the sake of like the, uh, the other analogies that the movie makes, like it's more telling that it's just, you're, you're, you're right. It's, it's a means to an end. And it's kind of how he convinces like this following to just go along with his, his toxic traits. So.
4: And okay, now we see Mandy who's working in a small general store by herself and she's reading a book. The old woman from earlier, who is part of the cult, comes in and the two have a strange and awkward conversation with each other. And you could just feel the tenseness and the uneasiness throughout this whole scene in their conversation. Uh, we also see the four men. The, Go ahead.
0: So, sorry, that that's the part where the woman comes in, right?
4: Yeah, the old woman comes in the store.
0: So that, that's one of the scenes where I thought it was really funny in the movie because she walks up and she's like, hello, human. I am buying tomato craft and two donuts. Yes. I like your shirt. Do you live? Ah, yes. You need human money for this. Here you human
4: go. money. This <laughs> I pay my human money for your human goods.
3: Yeah. Mother Marlene is the character. Yeah. It, it, it was kind of like, it was similar to like no country for old men where it's, you know, <laughs> she's just walking into the shop and she has a clear agenda. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a. She is she is a strange character. Human interaction is not her forte.
4: So we next see the four men from the group in a van in the woods. Brother Swan ex- exits the van and blows a horn. A short time later, we see a you group. Mean the Power Rangers the- flute. The Power Rangers flute or the horn of Abraxis. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I he, I would have rather had him blow a Power Rangers flute and a bunch of like Megazords come.
0: You gotta you gotta summon the Dragon Zord. It's the Green Ranger. I mean, these are a close second. I think what ends yeah. up coming.
1: Dude, he, I, he he summons these guys, and I was so fucking pumped when they showed up. <laughs> I was like, this is the most metal fucking scene I've ever seen.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: legit. Like the only thing better would be a giant dragon, fucking robot thing like I mean, <laughs> fucking a robot yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah fucking a robot well maybe not fucking a robot i mean let's not rule it that out entirely
4: but. so by blowing the horn uh the band slipknot shows up on motorcycles and ATVs <laughs> <laughs> i mean, these like biker creatures they were pretty they were pretty out there they were wild and i loved the just the look of them they all had like spikes on them and oh, it was great
3: so here is like uh, i guess what what's difficult to kind of discern in this movie is like what is clear symbolism and what is like just people are fucking weird in northern california like are these actual demons abraxas uh for anyone who studied demonology is like a very common demon um he's in a lot of lore he's he's used throughout a a good deal of history. Um, So like immediately I, when I heard about the horn of Abraxas, I was like, okay, that's for summoning demons. And then these guys show up on four wheelers. And even though like it's, you know, they're four wheelers, it's, it's a modern take on it. Like I was, I was not convinced at any point during the movie that these were not actual demons.
1: Oh, same. Oh, same. hundred percent. I, I, this is where I, I, I mentioned that it really is an alternate, it seems to be like an alternate set universe where there is some like legitimate lore of of demons and and, uh, you know, holy type characters and whatnot. And there, there's some sort of magic happening. And I feel like people kind of know it feels like all the characters just sort of know, but they're not. It's almost like if I'm going to pull it down in a very weird direction, it's almost like the Jedi and, and the star Wars universe in the sense that like everybody's like, I've heard of these people, but it's a gigantic uh, galaxy and I've never actually seen one. So it's yeah, kind of the same feel for me where it's like, I've heard that there are some very bad people out there and they kind of seem like demons and they very well, maybe
4: I believe it's revealed later in the movie too, that these were actual like a biker gang that was into drugs and selling drugs and they got a bad batch of PCP, and this is what they became. So it could be a combination of, like, they became these demon-like beings through some either magic or just the bad drugs that somebody put upon them. But either way, they're very menacing demons people to be messing with.
3: I mean, the alternative is to say that, like, Jeremiah was like, hey, make sure you blow into that rock to summon these dudes and then immediately texted them and being like, hey, make sure yeah. you're in the woods and <laughs> when you hear the flute <laughs> rock show up like badasses. Hail's in, the,
4: in the woods where you at? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The horn of
3: Abraxas. <laughs> and then and then, uh, what's his name? Brother Swan is going to hand you a, a big old jar of salsa verde and you're going to fucking chug that yeah. shit, bro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Yeah, let let me know when we make it inside the house.
4: (laughs) So after he does chug that salsa verde, he growls blood for blood, which I get the making some kind of pact. I guess it's understood now that they're going to bring Mandy to Jeremiah and the porker is the sacrifice. Because the the next scene is Mandy and Red sleeping at home in that sweet bedroom with the whole thing surrounded by a big window. And we see the biker gang looming in the woods. We cut to them and the religious group now in the house and the bedroom is in the bedroom and Mandy is taken and red is knocked out. And this is when low rent, budget Thurman Merman is assumingly killed as a sacrifice, which he deserves because he's a budget Thurman Merman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this whole scene rocked. Oh, man. I loved the music and the the lighting in this. Just a uh, strobe strobe light effect kind of thing happening where there was nothing and then there was something and then there was nothing and then there they are again. Like it, it was it, this legitimately got me a little like on edge. I was like, this is fucking weird.
3: I love it. Huge ap- epilepsy warning here. Like <laughs> they, they, they should yeah, have been in. <laughs> uh, but. Definitely some some Hellraiser-inspired imagery. Like, you know, just the flashing lights and, and all of a sudden, like, these these beings have just kind of appeared. They even kind of look sort of like Cenobites.
4: A little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They did look like they were, like, Hellraiser's minions, and they could have just substituted that for them. Uh, so we now we see Mandy is shown at a table, and she is tied up. With the older lady What was her name again? Marlene Mother may I? (laughs) Mother may I? Okay Very close Then we see her with another woman And she slaps Mandy across the face And she's told You think you're so special He thinks you're so special Talking about Jeremiah They use an eyedropper to put something in her eyes And this is when she Starts to trip out and then the old lady takes some kind of scorpion or insect out of a jar and has it stab Mandy in the arm, and she calls it the cherry on top.
2: No, it was in her neck. It was in the neck. In yeah. the neck. Yeah. He stabs her in the neck. It was the pickled wasp. <laughs> the that pickled wasp. was
1: the pickled wasp. <laughs>
2: That is and a terrain. These people walk. have a lot of LSD. A, like a, <laughs> a lot of lot. LSD. <laughs> and when he paid the, uh, you know, the salsa verde, he just, it was a mason jar of LSD. And uh-huh. biker just downed it.
1: Yeah. And the, the, they put the dropper of LSD into her eye and everything. And that, I was like, oh no, what are they going to do with this wasp? And then they, they get her in the neck, which is still pretty gross. Um, but yeah. It was she immediately becomes very, very, very high.
3: (laughs) Here's my thing, right? All I'm saying is there are worse ways to be kidnapped. Like if you're going to take me and do what you got to do with me, if you're putting LSD in my eyeball and you're giving me tarantula hawk venom, I'm going to trip balls for days. So, like, you know, I appreciate that, I guess. But dude, tarantula hawks like have you ever seen someone getting stung by a tarantula hawk? There are people on the Internet who do some stupid shit. And there's one guy who gets stung or Hi, I'm Coyote Pete. creatures. Cry? Is that his name? <laughs> yeah. That is his name. I've watched that video. She is. Uh, maybe the secret is taking LSD beforehand, but there is no fucking way <laughs> that woman would be screaming in absolute agony. That shit well, she does hurts
1: five seconds, and then she gets really high.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Being as I've never been to Northern California, I can only assume that there's nothing to do in the Shadow Mountains, and LSD is the only thing to do. So,
4: I think so. Yeah. I mean, if you were in the Shadow Mountains, you'd tell me you wouldn't try a little bit of LSD.
0: I know I would. I mean, from a Mason chart? Yeah, yeah. When in <laughs> California, I think.
4: So Mandy is taken to another room And it's it's clear now She's going through a drug trip The whole religious group is present And they all look high And they're tripping out Jeremiah says that the other day She called out to him silently And he listened And he asks what she sees She sees the reaper fast approaching Is what she says And Jeremiah puts on a record And this that this strong is a straight banger I love this song so much. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's all about how Jeremiah is the best thing that's ever existed and how he can do nothing wrong effectively. It's that like was, that. His it was his
2: band. This was his band playing that hot fire.
0: It's <laughs> like that old uh, wrestling song for Christian, if, if anyone ever watched that. Mm-mm. No, no one no, ever watched back. that. No. Way Christra, back. Christian! Christian! Christian!
4: It's just so, such a self-grandizing song. Jeremiah is the best. Everybody loves him. He can't do no wrong. It's pretty great.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's very uh, trippy 60s, 70s uh, sounding m- music, I guess you want to call it. And, that, yeah, and they're all just like tripping balls together and just loving this music.
3: It just seemed like, you know, this is what Nashville washouts become. You know, you're either going to be like a lowly <laughs> gas station attendant who like, you know, plays his guitar on the side of the street for money or you become a cult leader. There's no middle ground.
4: <laughs> and why do you think there's so many gas stations?
3: Yep. That's exactly correct.
4: That's exactly right.
3: <laughs> there's no shortage of missed country opportunities
0: it has nothing to do with the fact that we are a fuel dependent nation and everything to do with the fact that everyone went to nashville to become a country singer and failed so they had to open gas stations
4: that's the only uh-huh. thing you can do you can only have so many cults
0: <laughs> guys
3: we got we're, we're like treading dangerously on like illuminati territory we got to be careful we're only on all- <laughs> <laughs> podcast
2: <laughs> they, know. they know they know
0: they're on to us we're gonna get an email in a couple of days. Shut your podcast down (laughs) From Morpheus movie
1: (laughs) right, let's get to the scene
4: Okay so Jeremiah goes into a speech Of how he's been graced by God And he is chosen And this is a really cool scene I love this scene His face is a very close up Tight camera shot And it's overlaid with Mandy's face And back to his And then back to Mandy's face Throughout this whole scene
1: Uh, It's so good it's like i i was tripping balls and i wasn't tripping balls i was like whoa dude what is going yes. on here it's it's really well done and it was it was very fun to watch and it, his voice like came in and out of being demonic because of i guess how high she was and then going back into normal and then switching back over to demonic and then her face would show, uh, it was it was so good
4: because you don't notice that at first because they have similar like yeah, faces. Yeah. And it's just so subtle that it's like, wait a minute. And then you see the scar start to show up yep. and then the scar disappears. And it, and
1: the mouth stops moving. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just sound coming out of a face. Yeah. It's,
3: it's freaky as hell, man. And it was so subtle. It, oh, it's so effective. Yeah, it's fantastic.
4: Okay, so after this long winded speech, he disrobes and saying how they are both special and they should be special together. He she he asks, "How's
3: that?" Something okay. something to be said about you know him being direct. Like he was, oh, yeah. he got to the point.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so Mandy asks if he made the song and if it was about him, and then she just starts laughing maniacally at Jeremiah, who has now has no clothes on, and he starts to pleasure himself while just shouting "Shut up!" at her.
0: Yeah. So. So this is like one of the most interesting scenes in the entire movie, in my opinion. Um, So we start with the guy saying, Jeremiah saying this weird speech. And the line that stuck out to me was I was at the bottom of the pit. Um, And I took this in two directions. Initially I took this as like drug addicts and he like, Uh, you know, like a typical cult behavior, cult leader. He fed upon weaker people, people who were vulnerable and um, like brought them under his wing. And that's like a normal cult thing. Then I kind of took it after reading this interview uh, with the director, I kind of took it as bottom of the pit being like susceptible, vulnerable uh, men and uh, taking them under his wing Um, in One In the interview that I was uh, reading from him, the quote on this, I I found really interesting because when he, if we fast forward just a little bit into the scene, when she starts laughing at him, um, he actually says that she defeats him at this point. Um, He just, real quick, let me read just a little excerpt. So he said that they're nothing but dangerous in that way, talking about men. And I wanted Mandy to laugh in the face of that because she's the center of this film. I wanted her to be the one to essentially destroy him. He would die physically later, but I think he died right there. And I I find that, I I just found that very telling of the entire movie of like what I'm watching just in like that one quote from the director.
1: Yeah, I I thought that was a... it it was a good use of of that scene and it it definitely you can you can tell he's he's mad like uh, not many people have it seems like not many people have crossed him and then when they do he gets very upset by it because he does expect himself to be the the literal center of the world and that his like pleasuring himself it, it, it would be a disservice to the movie to say that he was just like jerking himself off he was furiously masturbating at like an angry rate to try to like I don't know, show dominance or something. And like, she just kept laughing at him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He was like trying to get it up and he was just like so upset and like cry. He was screaming at everyone. He's like, stop laughing at me. Like, yeah, don't
4: look saying, at me. Yeah. Like yeah. his yeah. complete spirit. He's just demoralized at that moment. He's up- him trying to get his power back because by her laughing at him, she took away all his power. All these people in his cult saw him as their leader, their God, And she just saw him as a nobody and just this guy that's invaded her home and taken her and her husband hostage. And he had no power with her because he expected her to fall over and do whatever he wanted, like everybody that's around him. But that's just not what was happening.
3: I loved the cackle, like how hard she was laughing at him, like just how low he was in that moment to her. And it just destroyed him. And he stands there completely naked, not and not metaphorically, literally naked in front of her, like revealing himself physically and like spiritually to her. And she is just this ugly cackle at how ridiculous he is as a character. You're like, he absolutely is defeated in that moment. And it was so beautiful, so beautiful. um, And you know, Dan, you said something earlier that I, I thought was really cool because you, you basically said it could be one of two things, you know, like he was at the bottom of a pit or men were at the bottom of the pit. I, I think like basically he, he was able to scoop the bottom of a pit and find people who would just blindly follow him. And that's what he's used to. You know, he's used to this this common pool of people that he can so easily manipulate. And she just spits in the face of that. She's such a powerful character with so little interaction. She she doesn't have a lot of lines, she doesn't have a lot more time after this scene, and yet she is she is absolutely the center of this film.
4: So Jeremiah comes outside of the house to Red who's tied up outside with barbed wire. He feels disrespected by Mandy and tells Ray he's going to show Tells Red He's going to show Red What true love Actually is Lucy One of the members Of his group Is forced to play Russian roulette To prove her love And dedication To Jeremiah And she's handed a gun With one bullet in it And it goes off And no bullet comes out So she doesn't die
0: That was the scariest Moment in that movie I was so on edge With that Russian roulette Yeah
1: Yeah I I think Russian roulette, and generally in most movies, keeps you nice, nice, and on edge. It's it's a terrifying game, but yeah, I I wasn't sure it was going to happen the whole time. And once she was there, you could tell the relief was like, okay, shit, uh, I may have, I may be in the wrong place. That this might be the moment when she kind of wakes up.
3: The amount of devotion she has to him, like she's completely dead inside. She had accepted being dead when she pulled that trigger, and. Yeah. It didn't I,
4: seem I, like she wanted to though. I think she was one of the only people in that group that had any kind of redeeming qualities. Because even later in the movie, she's the only one that Red spares. Everybody else he winds up killing and he lets her go. So I might just be because she was
3: She's weak. Weak, it, yeah, it, she was weakness. weak. It's weakness. I mean, he is, you know, he's taken her over, which is what Mandy would not have
4: allowed. So he stabs Red in the gut with a blade and Mandy's body is carried out, wrapped in, a, I guess it's a blanket. It's hoisted up and set on fire as a sacrifice and she is burned alive. And we see Red's face as he watches his lover burn in horror and anguish.
0: I, I want to just give you guys a real quick quote. So that that scene, going from the laughing to killing – uh, of Mandy. Um, it, it brought like a quote to me. Um, and the quote is from Margaret Atwood. And it's, it's, I'm going to paraphrase it. Men are afraid of being laughed at. Women are afraid of being killed by men. Mm.
4: That's not, that's a very like fitting quote, like literally exactly fitting this movie. Absolutely. I think, I think,
0: I think the director definitely was going for something like that when, He shot that. I'm not sure of specifically, but like, I I think so. Seems like it.
3: Yeah. So even the lead up to that scene where Jeremiah is looking in the mirror and like, you know, he's, he's, he's a shell of the confident leader that he was. And he's screaming, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And like in the back of his mind, it's, it's so easy. Like he's so desperate, but it comes to him and he's just like, Oh yeah. Just murder her horribly. And again, we, we get that pagan imagery, right? So like Mandy, I think is always kind of set up to be like a, a classic betrayal of, you know, like the, the pagan culture, you know, the, the pentagrams and, you know, just kind of her, her relation to nature um, and the fact that they string her up and burn her like a witch. Uh, under the guise of that they're like this you know christian based group is it's it, it, it's good imagery i think
4: because at first you think like she might already be dead and she's just in this wrapped up in these blankets but then once like they hoist her up and they light the fire you see the whole body start to squirm and like struggle and it was tough to watch just because you you know, she's burning alive, so the religious group leaves in their vehicles. And this is when Red is able to free himself. And he crawls himself over to Mandy's now smoldering body and cradles the ash of Mandy's head and tears up. And this guy's Kyle said before, I Nicholas K, he's a good physical actor because even when Mandy's body was burning. And when he's going over to the now smoldering body, just the pain in his eyes and the anguish and the sadness and the loss. He, he does a good job conveying that and just the pa- all the pain of it. But he, when it comes to the talking and the dialogue, it's not as strong on his part.
1: Yeah, I think we see, we see similar acting. I'll say acting qualities in... And and feel free to, to, to be offended by this if you will, but Keanu Reeves and, and Nicolas Cage, like some of the more, the, the better films that Keanu Reeves has been in recently, he's had like seven lines in the whole movie. You know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> or, killed my
4: dog. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: you kill my dog, I kill you. Like, those are some of his best films, and it's all action, and that's great. And I think all physical emotion for Nicolas Cage, it works really well for him. And I, I think it's it, the next couple of scenes after his uh after his partner dies is, is like it it it's amazing like he portrays a very like distraught man and it's, it's good it's very good
3: i was a little bothered like well first i was a little confused because you know the rule of film is that if you don't see the person die if you don't see their face as the death occurs then you know they're not dead. And I think that's just what like classic horror. or I'm sorry, classic Hollywood movies, like kind of give you that mindset. You know what I mean? Cause they're always looking for that, that cheap, you know, dun, dun, dun moment. Uh, but this movie didn't follow those, those typical rules. Um, so like, obviously like as she was burning and she was moving and flailing around, like I was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's dead. And then her face, Is like that, you know, she's literally just a pile of ash except for her face and when it fades away. And, you know, I don't think the fire would be that hot that she would be a pile of ash, but it was good symbolism. Um, It has a lot of tones of like the crow. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I
3: see what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah, I
2: get that.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I thought about that afterward. It, It felt a lot like that.
4: so this is when red enters the house and he's still in shock clutching his t-shirt and this does break up the scene a little bit They're a pretty great commercial for cheddar goblins mac and cheese plays in the team
0: goblin. Can, yeah can we all agree that we wanted that goblin to puke in your mouth oh, i wanted that goblin yes
2: absolutely you can buy cheddar goblin t-shirts Amazing. I mean here. I know
4: you I know you say it all the time, Dan, that you want that goblin to puke in your mouth, but this is the first time it actually makes sense. And I agree.
0: <laughs> no comment.
4: <laughs> so after all this happens, Red just collapses on the bed and passes out, and he shortly later awakens from a nightmare he's having and goes into the bathroom. Where he frantically digs for a bottle of alcohol and he chugs it and pours it over his wounds and has a mental breakdown in only the way that Nicolas Cage can.
1: Exactly. And this was this was an amazing scene. All of this was great. It's just Nicolas Cage in his underwear in a ripped up t shirt or a partially ripped up t shirt and covered in blood and just screaming into the void. It was it was great.
2: And even just a few seconds before that, when he was seeing the Cheddar Goblin commercial, he just had a short pause. He just went, Ch- Cheddar Goblin. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like he's, just, he's he's so he's so taken aback by everything that's just happened. He's just like, Cheddar Goblin? All right.
3: <laughs> he did a good job. This whole scene is so fucking weird. It's so fun, though. Like, yes, the Cheddar Goblin. He's, he's, he's watching TV. Like, he has stopped what he's doing. He has... An incredible stab wound, like, and I—I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure the liver's somewhere around there. Um, he falls into bed. He has like an anime dream. Wakes up and just starts pounding liquor. Like, doesn't address the stab wound at all. It all felt like all, Nicholas Cage.
4: It's all a combination of like the, the shock, the rage, the helplessness. And the pain, the anger, it's, and he could do nothing about what just happened right now. It all just weighs on him and hits him at once. And he just has that mental breakdown in the bathroom and just screaming through the void. It's like, the for me, it was the highlight of the movie. It
2: was one of my highlights, definitely. Same.
4: Same. So, next we see Red drive up to a trailer in the woods. Uh, it's clear he knows this man and he has come for what's called the Reaper. It's a crossbow he has left behind with this guy. And he says he is going hunting. And this is when his acquaintance gives him uh, special arrows that he tells him will cut through bone like a fat kid through cake. And this is Red tells him that he is after the Jesus freaks. And he tells him all about what happened to Mandy.
0: This scene was kind of weird, right? It was like it had a very it was definitely like magical Negro troop, right? Like, here's the here's the mystical black mm-hmm. man who will aid the white guy in like, <laughs> solving all of his problems. Like, I don't know. And, he, it, <laughs> and here's
2: Red's friend, Mr. Exposition.
4: Yeah I exactly. So I mean, I, didn't, I didn't read too much into it like you did Dan about a magical yeah. black man but to me he's in any kind of movie where something like this happens you need some kind of catalyst to get the hero back with his weapons without fully revealing like where they came from and what the history and the backstory of him having these weapons were and what he did with them in the past but you always got to have somebody or something that's going to they kind of reference it and say, Oh, he now you have your weapon back. You're not this just random person, they messed with the wrong person, and now they're gonna pay.
3: Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's a similar principle. I, I mean, Kyle kind of hit it on the head, uh, talking about Keanu Reeves and John Wick. I think it's at this point they're very similar in tones. Um, I, I liked this guy, his this character is named Carruthers, and uh, and, and more than any of this, like I'm just I was I was like filled with glee to see Bill Duke in another movie. I love Bill Duke like going back to seeing Predator as a kid for the first time, I fucking love this guy and he no, has he's just so awesome. Oh I love I love the way he goes about his acting method. like it's just so calm and he lets his eyes do everything. Uh, but no he, this was like a pretty funny like kind of back and forth. and while it did build Nick Cage's character red. Like it did, it did kind of solidify his past, you know, it did answer a lot of questions and kind of, and I think more than anything though, it gave Mandy's place in his life a lot more purpose, right? Because it confirmed like he's had a a dark past where Mandy was that calm, quiet, you know, they surrounded themselves with green, you know, that they opened their, their house. It was full of windows and he's and they are just this open book, and he's able to be be this way with her. And now, now we kind of see like this this dingy trailer with a crossbow, and we're like, oh, okay. Well, that the giant house of windows in the forest makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, like his his past was something way worse off than where he was now. And I I, I also I loved just from like a, a pure like metal album standpoint when. When the, what'd you say his name is Curmudgeon,
3: Curt <laughs> Carruthers,
1: Car- Carruthers, yeah. yeah, same thing. uh Carruthers, uh, he he looks at him and he goes, "You know what the craziest shit was? They fucking loved it." And like that part just immediately led into like a breakdown for me or something like that from like a, a, a any metal album that we've all listened to, like more than <laughs> <Yes>. once. I, <laughs> I love that. That line was so perfect.
4: And so this they loved it line is in reference to Carruthers telling Red about the rumors of the Black Skulls, who are a a biker gang that are only seen at night and have been causing havoc. They have never been quite right after a bad batch of LSD. And he tells Red that his odds of going up against these people are not good and he'll likely die. So this is where we see Red, and he's pouring molten metal to form an axe, and he's beating it sharp. And this whole blacksmithing scene is pretty badass. And the axe he finishes making is like the most metal axe I've seen. It's got a sharp pointed handle and a huge blade. It's a pretty badass axe.
3: Oh, it's so death metal, man. So fucking death metal. It's, it's like Ronnie James Dio's wet dream.
4: Anything with Dio I'm on board with. So we see Red camped out in the woods as the biker gang rides down the road. He has them in the sights of his crossbow, and he shoots one of them and races down the road to confront him. Upon striking with his truck, the truck flips over and the screen cuts to black. Red comes to and is chained to a radiator with his hand nailed to the floor of a derelict room, which is a trailer. Uh, some One of these nightmare creatures comes over and slices his body with a knife and asks him in a grumbling, growling voice if he has a death wish. And Red is able to break free and beat the thing to death with a pipe and it falls into a pit.
3: He said, "You're a vicious snowflake." I loved it. (laughs) What a line! And followed by a bottomless death pit.
2: (laughs) Too bad he ripped up his favorite shirt.
4: This had very strong like saw type vibes. Not strong, but like so reminiscent of just being the chain to a radiator. In a room that you're unfamiliar with after coming to,
3: so what I will say, like that that shirt, i I did read in an article that there was there is a purpose behind the forty four. Now obviously, that's his favorite shirt, and i I don't remember if the flashback is before or after this, but that's the it shirt is that after he this it is after okay. so. That's the shirt that he met Mandy in, which is why it's his favorite shirt. But the number 44 is significant. I believe it's, it's a biblical verse of some sort. Uh, I think there were actually a couple reasons for it, but there is uh, purposeful symbolism behind it.
4: Okay, so uh, Brett explores the building a bit, and he comes across another one of the bikers who's just doing drugs on the couch and watching some pretty graphic porn. After a brief fight, Red kills him with a box cutter by slitting his throat. And he. this is when he is absolutely soaked with blood. Mm-hmm. And just his whole face is crimson red. And it's just such a visually gripping and like, it's, I can't even put into words. It's just yeah. so visually distinctive
1: it's got this like bright red blood all over his face. And all you can see is like his teeth shining through it as he's smiling, as he's like slit this dude's throat. And it's, I, I couldn't tell if that was like, I think that was on purpose. I think that was like for the scene. Cause he's like excited, but I, it may have also just been him. Uh, Nicholas Cage, just like laughing at how the absurdity of all this blood coming out and pouring right on his face.
3: I think it played either way. Did we talk about, uh, who this man was that he just killed or rather what he's known for. You mean Dirk Dagger Dick? Oh yeah. Oh, that's one name. (laughs) (laughs) Dirk Dagger Dong? I I have Sicklecock (laughs) McGillicuddy.
4: That's another good one.
0: So was that body? Oh, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I'm just going to make a dong joke. So you could go ahead and do your (laughs) thing. Well, of course, I want to hear the dong joke
3: now. I was just going (laughs) to say
0: who, like, who wins, cage dong or dagger dong? But I I guess, I guess it's it's cage dong. It's always cage dong. It's cage dong. dong. It's still tidy whitey's man. Absolutely. They uh, impenetrable armor.
3: When he comes out of the the room of the bottomless pit and the radiator, because there's the only two things in there. um, When he comes out of that room and he passes by the bedroom with. The man who has clearly been fucked to death, like his like his ass uh-huh. is bleeding, like, and it's obviously like, he's the guy who killed. him. Was that the fat guy? Was that the porker? Was that the
1: oh, for blood? It might have been. Blood? I thought it was like a. I thought it was the couple
3: that owned the home, and True. they just yeah, went I mean, in there.
2: When I, I, I looked at it, it, was like the older couple that owned the home.
3: Okay, I couldn't. I, I can't remember. I, I feel like I would have like immediately recognized the the fat guy. So yeah, probably yeah. Could. Probably in order, especially
2: thing. from that angle. <laughs>
3: yep, true. Yep, true. Very true. Did but you this,
1: your- is, this goes into our. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, it, this goes into our theory of like this is this otherworldly actual demon shit. Like this is a a legitimate a, a dagger penis. I guess I don't. I don't really know, man. But like, I don't think this is like a strap on toy you're playing with. I think this. I think he's got like a a
3: demon metal penis. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. uh, Either that or it's just the sickest codpiece ever
3: <laughs> But there See, again you have to kind of decipher like is this all fantasy <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Immediately my head just went to Queen
2: is this
3: reality yeah, this is <laughs> yeah.
2: Just fantasy
3: Because the fantasy would be to ask oneself how much cocaine and LSD do you have to do to replace your cock with a giant machete like knife
4: it's probably a lot probably, a, probably a, a lot lot,
3: <laughs>
1: like like a table's worth that you then scoop up with a piece of
3: glass <laughs> i mm-hmm. would say bordering on like super soldier serum amount and and frankly i think that's like what hypes nick cage up for the rest of the film like all the mm-hmm. all the blood that he got in his mouth like he's a borderline super soldier now like that is blood cocaine Plain and I would,
4: I would think it's all the actual cocaine that he does right after this. Wait, did did, <laughs> did you guys ever play Mega Man? No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, do do you think that Nick Cage is like Mega Man? Like, he's gonna absorb the steel deck <laughs> now. Like, he's gonna. Like, like uh, yeah. Sure. Like Kirby. Yeah, like, I drank his blood, so it just turns into a (laughs) blank.
4: So another one of these bikers enters the room, and Red quickly snaps its neck after a fight. And this is where he picks up a piece of broken glass and does an enormous bump of cocaine off the table.
0: And he immediately screams, I'm cuckoo for Cocoa Buffs. (laughs) He, he, that takes- uh, biker
2: that he snapped the neck was the one he had knocked down the pit. Oh yes. Yes, the the one that came back upstairs. He walked but yeah, all the
0: way back up the stairs just to get his neck snapped that poor guy.
3: <laughs> yep. I, shitty I probably-
1: shotgun name. Right. I thought that scene was so funny. Like he he kills the dagger dick and then he He like dodges or the first shot misses and it hits the TV. And then all he does is like slowly roll back the couch. And the guy's like, I don't know how to aim for this. And
2: (laughs) I can't react to this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then he gets his neck snapped. I was like, that's the most uh, out of everything we've seen. That's the most unbelievable scene I've seen.
4: (laughs) Red retrieves his weapons. He gets his axe and his crossbow and he finds a jar of liquid on the table. He dips his finger in and tastes it. And what follows is a series of intense images as Red proceeds to trip out.
2: We now know the probably at least the suggested serving size of that LSD. A little
4: finger drop. Less than a finger drop. (laughs) It's just pure liquid PCP. And I'm assuming this is what was given to Mandy earlier in the film. And this is what the biker guy just chugged earlier in the movie. So next we see Red pulling uh, Brother Swan out of the van. And Brother Swan taunts him about Mandy, saying she burned so brightly. This is where Red puts the blade of the butt of his axe into his mouth and applies pressure, killing him in a bloody mess.
2: Wait, hold on. I think you skipped, uh, you skipped one of the uh, biker guys murdered. Which one was that? It's the final one that's at the flaming car, and he fights him with the axe, cuts off his head, and then lights his cigarette with his flaming, decapitated head. Yup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. I, I don't want to just really call you out for glancing anything over. I mean, but, I um... might
4: have glanced over that, so I can go back.
2: <laughs> I'd say you hit I, the nail
3: on the head. I, that's <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty much the whole scene yes yeah, uh, oh, you, don't to, yeah you don't have to go back i basically described the entire scene they fight cuts off his head lights a cigarette walks away wait mike can it's you great. can you explain what happens uh?
4: <laughs> so once red exits the trailer he sees- <laughs> <laughs> mm,
2: doesn't feel good now does it mm. <laughs>
4: You know what? No, it doesn't. I apologize for all the times I criticize your glancing. I know how much you like
2: to glance. I love glancing.
4: (laughs) Just not when you do it. (laughs) So later that night, another one of the religious group is polishing his car. I I thought I missed a word so just Polishing polishing is what?
2: I'm sorry. I I think I glanced over something watching the movie. I feel like I missed an exciting scene.
0: Jamie, what do you want him to polish?
4: He's polishing his dong? His dong. His (laughs) his dagger dong? (laughs) And so later that night, we see another one of the religious group who's outside polishing his car. This is where Red's axe flies into the frame and hits him square in the head and kills him instantly. Uh, this is when Red sees a chainsaw on the ground and picks it up and approaches one of the remaining group members. This man also picks up a chainsaw, which, whose blade is about six feet long. <laughs> and the two of them have an epic chainsaw fight, which I loved every second of. And Red is ultimately the victor of this fight because he wraps a chain around this man's neck and pulls him down and he is eviscerated by the chainsaw. Fantastic scene.
1: This is definitely, of of all the scenes, this is the one that gets the most credit. I thought a lot of other scenes were pretty fucking wild, but... uh everybody loves this scene. It's, it's such a, it's outlandish. You you don't have a chainsaw battle. That's not a thing, (laughs) but it's really cool. It's really well done. I, I really enjoyed it. I I saw the making of this or at least like some description of it. And, um, there wasn't much into like the chainsaw battle itself, but they were, they were legitimately in a, in a quarry in the middle of nowhere. And they had to like set up all these, uh, these, like they wanted two cameras to make sure they got all the shots because you're only doing this once. And apparently, um, they legitimately only did it once. They, they did one day, and that was that was all. This was was just one day of shooting a chainsaw battle, and then they had three days total to do the rest of the scenes in the quarry. And uh, that, that's super fast.
3: A chainsaw battle with such obviously phallic themes. Like, uh huh. I mean, it's so obvious, but it's so good. It like how how do you how do you make a chainsaw bat- battle even more like? fun and like slightly humorous like they did a good job
0: yeah for sure it's not the size it's how you use it
4: (laughs) (laughs) this is again where we have a heavy guitar music building and red enters a makeshift chapel that's in the quarry inside the chapel there is a glowing pit in the floor and red descends down he hears sobbing as he is moving through like, the cavernous tunnels. And it's the old woman from early in the movie, Mother Marlene.
2: Yeah, Mother Marlene.
4: Mother Marlene, and she propositions Red for sex, saying she's the best he's ever had, he'll ever have. And Red pretty much declines her right away. Deeper in the tunnels, we see Jeremiah. And from the hall, Red throws in Mother Marlene's decapitated head into the room.
1: So it looks like Red gave head?
4: Red did give head. Red Red gave Jeremiah head, which contradicts what happens (laughs) a short time later. Uh, He says Red can't harm him, and he keeps ranting about his delusions of grandeur. And how he is special and Red's a nobody and Red can't do anything to him.
0: So I, I really like this this line of like, you can't hurt me. Because like throughout the entirety of the movie, this guy is supposed to represent like toxic masculinity. um, And I I think like, I think just that line alone is another metaphor where it's like, you can't hurt me because like, I'm, it's not me the person. Like this is like... A thought like this is bigger than me, like this toxic masculinity is like it's like a bigger thing than just me, so you can't really hurt me. Um, and then immediately after, I, I know you're gonna like talk through the rest of the dialogue and stuff, but um, just so it's not disjointed in my thoughts, um, when he's like, I'll suck your dick, um, I think like that shows because Red like steps up to him. And it's like, I'll put my foot in your ass. And then um, I think that's supposed to be like the weakness of that ideology and the weakness of being confronted like person to person right in front of them. Like that that really shows that that ideology isn't strong. It's weak when you confront it and like you like meet it head on. Yeah.
4: yeah. I mean, even throughout this whole exchange between the two of them, Jeremiah goes back and forth, trying to like assert dominance and show power with "You can't hurt me, you can't do anything to me, you're nobody," and then weakness of "I'll blow you, man. I'll suck your fucking dick, man. I'll blow you." It just and then he goes back to trying to appear powerful, like they're just back and forth, back and forth, trying to find what would work because like. As with a lot of other people, he tried to assert power and that worked on them. And this isn't working with Red. So he tries to show weakness and try to uh, appeal to Red's like sensibility and his like, what's the word? He's trying to uh,
3: appeal to his wanting to get his dick sucked.
4: <laughs> yeah, appeal to his wanting to get his dick sucked. Everybody knows that you <laughs> <laughs> So he's trying to like have red appeal to Red's sympathies and have red not hurt him or kill him because that's what red came to do and he's killed everybody in his past so far. So just Jer- I thought it was just interesting to see Jeremiah is going back and forth between strength and weakness to just find what would get him out of the situation.
3: Yeah, he's a, he's a man without a platform now. <clears throat> he's desperate. Uh, you know his following is gone. You know he has no identity. He's still trying to hold on to what little he has, but yeah, he becomes a desperate pathetic pathetic shell. I, I, I think it's interesting, Dan, that you that you focus on like the idea of that he is symbolic of just the entire the entire patriarchy. I don't disagree. I think it's I, I think it manifests itself through like what has driven man to the the position of power that it's in right now. And I think that the vague uh you know the thin veil of the religious aspect of him and his group is a, a largely symbolic of the patriarchy mm. so mm-hmm. so yeah I, I i do agree with that that sentiment
1: yeah this was this is a very uh this this is how i wanted the scene to end and i'm glad they want this direction because i thought he was going to do another uh axe strike but uh because i was like all right they did the axe a couple times we get it but then the ending
4: yeah this is when red crushes his head uh over Lynn martell style this squeezes it till it pops like a grape oh.
1: and the the squeezing was it was just met with like a literal sense of like euphoric like it, it, he just he does it. And then he's just like, ah, like it was very, I don't know. It It was was, sexual.
3: It was was absolutely, it was very sexual
1: (laughs) for for him Uh, and the audience. Yes. And it was, it it was splooge everywhere. It was ridiculously (laughs) disgusting. And I loved it. It was great.
4: Yeah. It was just like cathartic and it was just all the anger and just the rage, just, just the physicality of squeezing his head. And just relief you see in Red's like face and demeanor once like the head pops and he's gotten his revenge on everybody. It, it had to be done like by his own hand. It couldn't be done like chainsaw fight. It couldn't be done with the axe throw or crossbow arrow. It had to be by his own hand in that visceral way.
0: Yep. And if I can say uh, one last thing on this, um, there's – There's another quote from the director uh, from the same article that I was reading uh, where he said, I might actually be allergic to testosterone. Whenever I felt a testosterone rush, I get like sick afterwards and I feel exhausted and terrible. I honestly think I'm allergic to it in my own body. So being around aggressive men makes me feel like shit. I'm no role model, but this is like off the fucking charts. The way people express themselves online. That's also how they express themselves in the real world. That's what's really stunning is the sense of entitlement is so huge that they go out in the real world and kill people over it. It's unsettling and dystopic to the extreme. So what I really took away from like the whole la- second hour of this movie, because the second hour is just like a beautiful rampage of Nicolas Cage killing re- in ridiculous ways but what I really got from this because of this like quotes from it and like the clear connection to like uh, discussing like um, toxic masculinity in our society today is like, okay. So Mandy was like the focal point in the beginning, but then we get to the second half and Mandy's dead. And now I see it as Nicholas Cage is the embodiment of like the director being like, tackling test like toxic men and tackling uh all these ideologies and like I don't know it, it felt like kinda it felt a little tone deaf um just to like yeah have him come in and be like I'm here to save. I'm here to like avenge women and avenge against the toxic men and this testosterone bumps and like I, I don't know. It felt and I'm not saying I didn't like the movie. I, I don't want it to come across like that. Like I'll get to that, but like just that part felt a little tone deaf to me. Yeah. Nice.
4: go
1: ahead. I was gonna say it and, and going going along the, the route of, of that particular interview and a couple other interviews w- with the director, he, he mentioned this whole movie is about uh, it's, it's about dealing with loss and, and, and grief and whatnot. And it was his battle of, of after losing both of his parents in a relatively short amount of time where he, he finally came up with the idea of this movie and started to really um, sort of really, you know, make it and, and, and go through with it. And it, it was, it was tough for him. And like, when you, when he starts to tack in this, this whole ideology of, uh, I hate, uh, I hate this like testosterone and I hate like mega masculinity. And I'm trying to be like, like we've like in personal chats, like, uh, you know, he's a nice guy and he's doing the best that he can for all people and women and whatever. I I think it, I think it loses something there because I think that the the feeling of loss is seen, and he does a really good job it. And Nicolas Cage does a good job at, at, at showing that. And then just coming up and being like, yeah, I just hate macho men. And it's it's like weird. I don't know. I, I thought it was like a, I don't know. I don't know how to take it, but yeah, I, I agree I, with you.
4: I feel the same way with you. Like you do. I I don't, don't think the quotes he's done on, on his interpretation of what he intended of it being like a criticism of like toxic masculinity. It doesn't, for me at least, it doesn't match what goes on because it's a very violent, and <laughs> yes. bloody movie, and that's like it gets. It's like it could be considered like a guy movie, what's stereotypically called a guy movie, just blood and violence. And if that's what you are trying to argue against, and say how that's bad and you have your hero doing all this this violence and ultimately becoming victorious, to me, it just didn't match up with what he said he was going for. It might just me not being too in tune with it and not reading too much into it, but the majority of your audience is going to watch this movie. So oh, Nick Cage off the rails, killing a bunch of people, that's what I want to see. And to me, it wasn't the criticism that, he says it was
3: the movie's great, but it is entirely contradictive of itself. Yeah. It's, you know, (laughs) men are dangerous. Uh, and and that's why women should fear them. And we could only combat it by men being really fucking dangerous. (laughs) In fact, we are going to handcraft a giant fucking solid steel ax and just brutally murder everyone who gets in my way because violence and male toxicity is bad
1: (laughs) yeah i I don't know like you said i I felt it was odd and then like the the, i don't know maybe we want to wrap this thing up mike yeah someone else to toss in there
4: so uh red sets the entire chapel on fire and he exits the quarry he gets in his car And he's very – he looks to be in shock after everything he's been through. Memories of him and Mandy are seen, and they're intercut with Red. And now you see he's covered in blood. He looks psychotic. He looks exhausted. He looks drained. And in this state, you just see his, his memory of Mandy compared to what he's like now. He's just lost. And as he drives off, the camera pans up into a deep red hue of a sky. And it looks like it's another world. It does not look like, like we had said earlier, it's an alternate dimension, possibly. It's just, it's a very visually appealing scene. The sky is gorgeous and has deep colors and a lot of mysterious visuals. And that's the end of the movie.
1: Yep. Uh, it was a great great ending to a to a really good movie so if we're cool let's go ahead and um let's move over to the special effects and cinematography it was all great yeah. <laughs> yeah i it i'm i don't usually tack it in there because it doesn't part of cinematography and special effects to me is the lighting but i i will call it out he this director is is famous for his lighting styles and what he likes to do and and what he likes to see and uh yeah it was wild this was a, a fucking wild movie as far as like special effects and, and cinematography goes it was extremely grainy they used i read that they used some like really um non-standard um lenses for the cameras They were um uh i don't want to say the word wrong something an- anthroscopic or uh give me a second
2: i, I want to say that's the right word uh Nope, that's not the word I want at all.
4: It's not anthropomorphic.
2: No, uh, ambidextrous.
4: That's it, right? Yeah. Mm. Apple pie. Amphi- Is it uh, amphibianous?
3: That's not a word.
1: <laughs> aspherical. There we go. So it's aspherical camera lenses. They they just they distort things. They used um way back in the day um to to deal with new uh mediums of, of putting out movies. And what it does is it makes those like really weird. Uh, it makes the lights look really weird effectively. And it gives like a, a better depth of field and just all these things packed together with like interesting angles and like very eighties esque uh, lighting and and lens attachments and coloring and stuff. It, it was, it was a fucking trip, man.
4: Yeah, I agree. Even the lighting and the color of light and even like the lack of light in certain scenes, it really makes you feel like uneasy and on edge. And even during the acid trip scenes, it's like you feel like you're going through an acid trip. If the title cards intercut and everything working together just gives you the entire movie, you're on edge. You don't know what's going to happen next. And you you have no time to breathe, no time to relax as you follow Red through his journey of vengeance. And it's just – it keeps you compelled and wanting to see what happens next.
0: Yeah. The only thing I'll say is that it just conveyed so much emotion. Like that last scene alone, they didn't even say anything. But just the color changes and the scene changes and the way that they – like Nicolas Cage just being, as we said multiple times, great with just like his facial expressions and just the way he carries himself when he's on screen – like it just conveys mm-hmm. so much. So just that alone, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, one of the things they pulled, they talked a lot about with the lighting. Uh, just to go off on a small tangent again, um, is the the scene with the the chemist uh, when they, when we meet the chemist and his uh, his lion or sorry his tiger is like they they set up that thing just to get that soft lighting from the the leds above but they were like we don't have time to figure out how to build a set on top of it to like make it look more like so they just kept it in there and i thought it worked really really well when they like just individually lit up and just showed up the rest of the place it, it was really cool and then peek over to see uh nicholas cage is it it's it's a cool it was a cool scene i really like that one
3: I love that they included the planets at the end. I mean, this whole this whole movie is so visually stunning; it really is. Um, say what you will about the storyline, whether you got it or not, whether you you know whether you derive deeper meaning from it. <clears throat> but one thing this movie did so well is just make it beautiful from start to finish, even with some dark, gory imagery. Uh, it just had such a professional touch to it. Um, it was completely unique in its execution i i loved what it did visually and it's it's such an off-the-wall story i mean that there's there's so much drug use and psychedelics and you know the fact that it was able to convey that so seamlessly uh just those little details mike i i know you were such a huge fan of the uh of the scene where jeremiah is, is speaking to mandy and their their faces are kind of morphing together almost and fading in and in and out of one another uh i think it did a really really nice touch uh in in terms of you know what drugs make you see and what it did for the story so yeah visually i i I, i'm careful to say masterpiece but it was masterfully done Mm.
1: I agree. And and just the the hop on the train of the, the drug thing, I, I won't say I've taken many psychedelics in my existence, but what I have heard is that it's it is more akin to that like fuzzy fuzzy around the edge kind of nothing is like that that stereotypical like you see fun fucky colors when you take a psychedelic mushroom or something like that. It's things are like fuzzy and weird and they start to blend together and, and the lighting really starts to change your your vision of the world and stuff like that. And that I think they got that. Pretty much downpacked with this movie. So if that is the truth in the matter, then I will take it. Um and with that, let's go over to uh Sound and Music, unless anybody's got anything else. Fantastic. Welcome to Sound and Music. Uh so Sound and Music, what a fucking score. The, just it's so ed- everything. metal hey, It's so metal. It's metal. It's 80 synth. I mean, it is the 80s. They did a good job of taking it back. But the, starting off with King Crimson, starting off uh, with just some crazy ass guitar riffs, and then all the emotion portrayed in in that soundtrack. Honestly, like I, I would, I would just listen to the soundtrack if I, I think I will. Uh, I believe we can. <laughs> we have the technology. We do.
4: Yeah, I love the music in this movie. Like it just built out the world and just showed like what kind of character Mandy and Red were. They were this these two people that wanted to get away from the world. And they had their own little home in the woods. And just the music just carried out that whole metal feel of the movie. like Just the swell, like you said, the synth guitar, the swelling guitar vocal, swelling guitar chords. It just, the transition scenes was uh, great. And the music only added to it.
3: you know, what's great. What I really loved about the fact that it was almost entirely like a, a metal. Um, uh, what's, what's the soundtrack, uh, <clears throat> was that metal is so typically used for like building suspense or, or like the intensity of a scene. Whereas I, I, I don't think this was so pigeon held to just that one, that one angle. Um, because like these were guys, or rather Mandy and red, like enjoyed that music. So it was able to show metal that like you know, it can just kind of be in a peaceful chill hanging out kind of setting. Like it doesn't necessarily have to just be like this crazy, intense, you know, whatever's happening. Sure, it, it, it's still used for those scenes, but they used it in other places during the film that had nothing to do with like the intensity
1: yep i agree it it's a good especially if you're not familiar with a lot of at least 80s metal or or anything in that this is even beyond 80s metal it's like it's just in general just can become dark but also can be kind of chill if you're not familiar this is such a good soundtrack to listen to it's it's good um and with with the sound effect concept of this this whole section here is like i said that they they played a lot with people who were very high and like people sounding like demons and, and demonicness to them. Cause when, when Nicholas Cage says his, his final words to, um to uh, the, the cult leader, he says, I'm your God now motherfucker. And then like, it's in like this deep demonic super voice. And it's, it's so good. And I would imagine that the, the, the guy was high as well, but like it's, they play around with this whole like d- demon and not demon and these like different, parts of this weird world that they all existed, in and I, I think the sound effects really kind of go in with that so i think everything was done very well i didn't see anything wrong at all and if we're good with the sound music then uh, i think it's time to go to our spoopy meter dan i imagine you had fun with this one
0: Totally, but probably not the way that you guys think. So, since this is the month of Cage, we are going to be doing some fun facts of Cage. Um, so, we're not going to do movie centric ones for this month. So, this week I have <laughs> this is a weird one. So, Nicolas Cage buys pygmy shrunken heads. It's just a thing that he uh-huh. buys or bought. naturally. Yeah. Sure. Yep. yep, yep. Um, I mean, really, nothing should be surprising about what Nicolas Cage buys because nope. it's he's famously not very good for with his money. But
4: anyway, right, that's one that's one of the reasons why he's in so many movies of varying quality because he has a spending problem. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there was a story one time about how him and. Lead on the capper got into a bidding war over Tyrannosaurus head. Yep, he spent 150 million
0: dollars on it, or 300 thousand dollars, or something like that. I think that's so a yeah. Big, he spent big a lot big of money. <laughs> that's, the- that's a
4: very big difference.
0: Um, yep, yeah, but, but then it was up uh, it was stolen. And he had to give it back. So, oops, oops. <laughs> At one point, he bought Madame Lalaurie's mansion in New Orleans. Um. Yeah, he sure he, yeah,
4: he, I mean, he likes to own things.
0: He has a pet shark and a pet crocodile. Like, I, I don't know, I've learned a lot about Nicolas Cage <laughs> over the
4: past couple days, but I think I'd rather have a pet shark than a pet crocodile. I tried to learn, I mean, o- only if the shark has a laser beam attached to its head,
0: <laughs> shark, <freaking laughs> attached to their freaking heads. All right, so anyway, uh, here just in case Kyle wants to cut that. So, on those pygmy shrunken heads, um, they typically cost, they, they really vary. You can buy them easily, like really easily. Like, I, there's a website that sells pygmy shrunken heads. And oh, man, I'm glad they have this information now. And um, if you want to buy them, they're like $65, $70. But I figured I'd give us a nice, easier number uh, to deal with. So, zero to $50. Um, how much would you spend if this was a Pygmy shrunken head? (laughs) It's a good try. I'll take it.
3: It, Interesting.
0: That's the hardest part about it, is tying that into it. (laughs)
1: uh, Yeah. I get it. It works. I mean, we can't use it all the time because then it gets boring. Then it's like, ah, how much would you pay if it was a hundred dollars of it? But I like it now, so let's go with it. Um I think spoop wise i i would be surprised if i i don't know i i I don't want to say that i was terrified there was no jump scares in this movie that you're you're totally fine don't worry about the jump scares but just the overall feeling of dread throughout this movie and the overall uh just everything the emotions that are passing through and like some of the creepy super high parts it i i would i would say it was a good like 30 out of 50 dollars like i was I felt so uncomfortable at times and just I felt so in tune with the characters and everything. It, it just felt it was weird and I, I enjoyed it. It was very, very good. And now going on to the main scoring here, I I think that it, it does so much for me because it is it, it is in the realm of normality, but it's just a little different. It's just outside. It may have some like edges of, of fantasy and some like weird uh, demons and, and angels and devils and all kinds of weird stuff that they're that going about it. And it it really does let you kind of fall into the world because it's not too far different from our own. I think the synth soundtrack, the the insane believable characters, none of them felt like too off the wall to me. They all seemed uh close enough to reality, even the 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 cultist leader because he was uh, even some of the shots reminded me a lot of like shots of Charles Manson and, and the way that he existed in his whole, his own cult and everything and I, I just I, w- I was disturbed and it was it was really cool and they, the the cinematographer uh, and just the director did a great job here and I, I did write down that never in my life have I understood Nicolas Cage more than him standing in his bathroom in his underwear chugging vodka and screaming at the void and I think that describes this film to a tea, and I loved it. So I'm giving it, I'm full on giving it all $50. I'll, I would pay double. It's, it's very good. I love this movie.
4: Wow. Yeah, I agree with a lot of your points. I just, when you say dread that does, it's a very accurate description about what you feel watching this movie. Uh, Red lost the, probably the only thing that he loves and the only thing he can cling to. And, the whole movie is his journey and seeking revenge and ultimately it's not going to bring her back to him, but it's the only way he knows how to get that release and get that feeling out of him. But I don't think he's, he's maybe a little bit better off by the end of the movie, just by getting the satisfaction of getting his revenge, but he's still in the same spot. And I like what you said too about, the Jeremiah character being like Charlie Manson because I had the same vibe too when I saw first saw him. He has this cult of people around him who hang on his every word and even though he's clearly to the outside, out of his mind. And they just blindly follow him and do what he says and he's this egotistical, delusional man that just spouting off words. So, but... So overall, as a movie, I would give this, same as you, 50 out of 50. I love this movie. It's probably one of my top five Nick Cage movies. That says a lot because that beats out uh, Face Off and Con Air. But spoopy-wise, it was not that spoopy of a movie. It was, like like Kyle said, dreadful. So probably maybe five out of 50 spoopy-wise. But still, it's a great movie. And you should definitely go out of your way to see it.
3: I love this film. <clears throat> I I'll be the first to admit that I, I went into the, the month of Cage uh with some reservations. Um, but I'm happy we started here. Mandy, um I've definitely heard about Mandy. Uh I, I think most of us have, whether we had seen it before or not. I I can definitely see the appeal for how quickly it's becoming a cult classic. Cult classics I think are important because they they represent an area of film and you know mixed media that doesn't follow the normal trends uh, that isn't afraid to do something a little outlandish. that not afraid to have sort of an off the wall story um, and and this does all those things and it does them well visually it's uh, unbelievable i know we talked about that uh it's complemented so well with the sound uh spoopy it, it it's it has horror tones but it is not it, it's not scary um i i won't even bother rating it at that on on that level um because it's 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 not meant to be just that typical level of scary dread is a perfect way to kind of assess what you're supposed to feel throughout the entire throughout the entire film um and you know funny enough because it had like those title cards uh th- they felt they felt so out of place and kind of unnecessary because really the movie is two parts it's you know when Mandy's alive and when she's not and how unhinged the world becomes when she's gone um you know the first the first half of the movie is like peaceful it, it, it's peace with like the elements of like, you know, what the hell is going on? You're still trying to figure out what this movie is. Um, and then once she's gone, it is just all out. Nick cage, crazy LSD, like fucking shit up. It covers so many bases and like everything that you want in a film, whether you're not, you read into it being kind of hypocritical to like what it's, you know, underlying meaning is supposed to be. But, I think one of my favorite things about this is like, you're just, you're just kind of sitting, sitting in awe watching this and like, how the fuck did they come up with this? Uh, Fun fact, um, Elijah Wood is one of the lead producers of this film. And part of me is just like daydreaming as I'm watching this with the biggest shit eating grin on my face. Like, I feel like this is what happens when like Elijah Wood and Nicolas Cage like break into an abandoned mall. And like lock themselves in like a Spencer's gift and play Dungeons and Dragons for two weeks on a ton of LSD. Like, cause it's so, <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous, but it's so amazing. Uh, th- I'm glad you brought that up. I thought I had
1: a fever dream when I saw Elijah Wood's name attached to this somewhere because I couldn't find it again. I, Amazing. No,
3: Frodo is the fucking producer. It, that's, that's a real thing. That really happened. He's a fucking producer in uh-huh. this. So the fact that they're doing like the cones of Dunshire, like this crazy realm, this crazy <laughs> fantasy realm with demons riding it on four wheelers, but are they demons or are they crazy LSD junkies that literally rip off their cocks and replace them with knives? You don't care and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The imagery is still there. It's still as vibrant as as it was, or as it would be otherwise. It's it's just so good. The pagan themes. It, uh, I, I'm rambling. I can't help it. This is that good a movie. If you if you just open your eyes and and take it for what it is, which is this crazy adventure. Um, I I I I will give it forty five out of fifty because my, my perfect score is very hard to come by, but this is close. This, this is one of my – definitely one of the best movies to come out of 2019, in my opinion.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm basically in agreement with everyone else, uh, spoopy-wise – Wasn't much spoop. There's only one thing that I counted as a jump scare for me. That was the most terrifying thing of the entire movie. And that was at the end where it was kind of cutting back and forth between Red and Mandy. And it shows him looking to the passenger seat of the car with just this giant open eyes and huge smile. And just seeing Nicolas Cage covered in blood, wide-eyed and grinning from ear to ear. is possibly the most terrifying thing I've ever seen, but I loved it. The whole first, like, 30 minutes of this movie, I didn't really understand what was happening. I was just getting lost in the dialogue, and it could have easily been because um, whatever version of the movie I was watching, like, the audio kind of dipped in and out, so I couldn't really hear a lot of things uh, in the beginning. But once we finally hit that hour point and just red started spiraling and we just got to all of the Link LSD drug-fueled violence, I was hooked. I just could not stop watching and it was fantastic. So um, I think one of the reasons that I really also enjoyed it is I kind of looked at it as a... Like an homage to like the kind of classic grindhouse kind of movie, you know, like how uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino did with like uh, Death Proof and Planet Terror. It really reminded me of like those movies, and I thought that was great. Um, so yeah, just to wrap it up, a uh, spoopiness that yeah, you know, like a four out of fifty. But I would spend a solid. I am gonna go with a solid forty eight dollars for one of those pygmy heads.
0: Yes, yeah, Spoopiness wasn't, wasn't spoopy. Uh, I'll give it about tree fitty. Uh, and for overall movie was, it, it was good. I mean, it had certain flaws in my opinion that I've, I've discussed, but overall I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed what was done. I think that there was a lot of motion conveyed in the imagery. Um, the shots were beautifully done. The use of color is something that you don't see uh, done so masterfully in other movies so bravo on that uh acting was great they didn't need a lot of lines in it um so i i think overall it, it was good uh i don't really have much more to say i think it was sprinkled throughout the episode so i'm gonna give it uh i'd give it like i'd pay 35 dollars I'd, g- I'd go discount discount bargain on them heads i go 35 dollars out of 50
1: yeah, like a pygmy pygmy head, right? Like a little baby
0: one. Right, right. Like it, it wasn't. Maybe the guy's still alive. Like it still talks to you. It's kind of annoying. It's like <laughs> it's got magical properties in it. Yeah, yeah I got you. Huh. I mean, I'd say I'd lose my head, but geez, this is ridiculous. Like like it makes really bad jokes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm now. I want to see that. I want Nicolas Cage in a pygmy head. Did you? Oh, yeah. Robert? Did you find
0: my head? I think. <laughs> I think Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> would have to be the voice of it, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh we'll get right on that folks uh we'll get that movie out right after the uh, deathbed remake that we're doing um
4: deathbed, uh, followed by uh gilbert godfrey the shrunken talking head yes uh his second best uh voice work only after iago yes that's what I, the it, that's what the pre-reviews are saying not that yeah. to their own horn but
2: now, or do we do it as like a buddy cop where it's Nicholas Cage holding the tiny pygmy
0: head that is played by Gilbert Godford? Uh-huh. Speaking of tooting, you know what
4: else toots? Uh-huh. No. No. It's done. It's over. It's a new year. No more tug cons. <laughs>
1: Uh, I I was going to give the title of the new movie. It's going to be called Pick Me, Pick You. Um, (laughs) um, Pick Me, Tug You? Yeah, (laughs) Pick Me, Tug You.
4: Um, (laughs) With all that...
1: We appreciate everybody who has stuck in this long. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, I want to thank Connor McLeod and Andrew Cavanaugh for our artwork and music, respectively. I also want to thank uh, you. Check out our our new Facebook group. We got a cool Facebook group that we're doing. Uh, it's just Horrible Friends podcast. Uh, just Google. You'll find it. Google the Facebook and you'll be all right. Um, and uh, with that, Chris, uh, do you want to tell everybody why they
2: are fantastic and what they should do now? thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time
4: and happy birthday Nick Cage
2: yeah happy birthday Nick Cage happy birthday Nick Cage